Hey everyone, just wanted to let you know and give you a heads up about 32 minutes into the podcast. It's going to seem like there was a big jump. Uh, that's because that part of the audio just got garb- garbled and I couldn't quite edit around it. So no, you're not going crazy. Uh, it just audio issues, but we're working on it. Um, but with that out of the way, enjoy the show and If you want to help us grow, um, please follow us over at Twitter at Sequelize It. We're trying to grow that little community and get your feedback. And with no further ado, on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Sequelize It, a movie rewatch podcast. My name is KC, and uh, if you've been listening along, or if you're just joining us for the first time, we are going through all the movies in the Skywalker saga from Star Wars, and joining me on this episode are... Hello, I am your Fox from Backlash, Bullseye and Rats, and my T-86. I am uh, No Chris Alive, sequelized its Mastodon of the Monotone. And this week, we are going to be talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The first, I guess, not mainline entry in Star Wars. The the first one that doesn't directly have to do with anyone, you know, with the last name Skywalker, essentially. It had a budget of around $265 million, and it made a box office of $1.056 billion. Um, compare that to Solo, which uh, the movie cost more to make and didn't make all that money back, I don't think. Yeah. And then it also has an 84% score on Rotten, Tomato, on Rotten Tomatoes and an 86% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So a pretty well-received, pretty successful initial outing for this movie, uh, which which for the most part I think I agree with. This was a really good one and a fun one to watch after watching like four movies that I had big issues with. I will say, uh, I remember watching this the first time, and I, w- I remember not being too impressed by it, but, you know, re-watching it, I-, I feel like this is a movie that benefits from multiple viewings, because you kind of pick up more details the more you watch a movie, and I feel like that's given me a better appreciation for it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, this was the most comfortable watch I've had thus far. Uh, this is the first time I've, I've seen this flick. And uh, talking to some people after I watch it, and we one person said made a point that like I'll get into when when it applies, but this is easily the in some parts the prettiest Star Wars movie. Um, but from a narrative standpoint, also uh, it's just very simple. Like, make no mistake, this is another prequel, and and there's really no reason for it to exist. Like. It's completely pointless, but with that said, structurally, like, character arc-wise, it's simplistic, and and I think it succeeds. Yeah, I find that, um, yeah, it doesn't really have a reason to exist, 
but I think it gives itself lots of excuses to exist by having a lot of clever callbacks, but um, it really having a lot more to do with the characters than the other movie. Then, you know, com- comparing this with Solo, which is supposed to be an origin story for for the character of Han Solo, I feel like we learn a lot more about we learn a lot more about the characters in this movie, and I wish I would see them again. And apparently, we are going to end up seeing at least one of these characters. Uh, and a Disney Plus show down the line, but um, I think just one, just one character that, like, in retrospect, I really don't care about seeing, and probably all these tertiary characters that that show up in like boardrooms and yeah, and just act as like like temporary antagonists for the main characters. So I'm not really looking forward to that. But <laughs> yeah, if I have time on my hands, which I most likely will. I think if I was going to describe this as a wrestling match, I would say that this is like um, this is like Road Warrior Animal and Heidenreich versus Eminem, where they win the tag titles and they come out at no mercy and it's big fanfare and you think, wow, this is going to be a great big tag team. And then they just lose and you never hear from them again. <laughs> that is a deep cut. Yeah, I figured you were going to do like a a Meltzer star rating kind of thing and be, been like 3.5 stars. And and by the way, if, in case anyone wants to know, and I'm sure nobody does, fuck <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, that reference, never would have thought Eminem would, would be mentioned. Coming with that, that deep 2004-2005 Smackdown cut. At any rate, let's just jump right into the movie. Well, before we jump into the movie, uh, this week, I think it was Backlash that pointed out the trailers to this movie and how it's interesting watching the trailers because, yeah, trailers are kind of meant to misdirect, but if you go back and watch both the teaser and you watch the trailer for Rogue One, it's like the movie is supposed to be about something completely and utterly different. Like, not even hinting a little bit about what the movie is supposed to be about. Yeah, much like Solo, this movie apparently had a lot of behind-the-scenes problems. Uh, They're not quite as well-spoken as what happened with Solo, but apparently they threw out like an entire draft of a script after they started filming which is why there's so much extra footage. Which is usually that level of rewrites is a bad sign for a movie. But again, I think they kind of, I really like this movie. So I think what they did here was actually, it actually worked and the story that they told here actually worked. Uh, I would like to see what the original script was like, just to see if the characters are, just to see if the story is supposed to be more like what was in the trailers than what ended up being on film. Because what ended up being on film is I I, I really liked. Yeah. So there so was I, one moment. I'm not sure when we're gonna get to it because it's been a few days, but but once we do, like I, I wonder if that was a fully fleshed out scene, but it's presented in a different way. But but either way, we should probably get started. Yeah. So uh, our movie opens uh, with the text a long time ago and a galaxy far, far away. 
but we don't actually get any opening crawl material. Uh, again, unlike Solo, which did the opening crawl without doing the opening crawl, uh, this one just sort of jumps right into the narrative, which I personally liked, because it just felt like they weren't trying to waste your time. They they it, It's like they're trusting their audience to be able to get what's happening. Like, you could take the opening text from Solo, and it doesn't add anything. And in fact, the characters that they reference in that movie, freaking, you never see her again after the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And I think I'm going to wind up making a lot of references to Solo in this. But, um... I think that's fair. Yeah, just because they are movies that are were kind of made in broadly the same vein of trying to tell some kind of prequel story. And, again, I th- we'll get into it as we go on, but I think this one does a better job of justifying its own existence than Solo does. This one, I feel like, adds more to the canon and adds more to the lore of Star Wars. I think you're, I think you're better for having seen Rogue One than than not having seen Rogue One. You can skip Solo because it's not essential viewing. This isn't necessarily essential viewing, but it will kind of explain the stakes of A New Hope a little bit more. Yeah. Or at least that's the way I took it. Um, I, I agree. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, um, we are on... Uh, I don't even think they... Do they say what planet this is? Uh, according to Wikipedia, it's the planet Lamu, where director Krennic arrives to take Jalen Urso, who is apparently a defected Imperial science a scientist who is helping uh, the Empire develop the Death Star. He is hiding on this planet, and he is found. Uh, he lives there with his daughter, uh, Jin, and his wife, Lyra. And essentially, this this opening part of the movie, kind of why Jin kind of has a connection to the larger story at hand, uh, it introduces us to the character of Saul Guerrero. And Don't yeah, Guerrero. what did No, not Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not the late great Eddie Guerrero's daughter. No, that that's Saul Guerrero, not Saul Guerrero. She this this one is not married to to Aiden English. No. Um We're a hard time with this, aren't we? I mean, I feel like week by week, I'm I'm just like whatever. I'm just letting the wrestling references come out, and if they don't work, <laughs> I'll just cut it out in editing. Yeah. Um. Regardless, no, uh, Casey, you explained that pretty well. Um. Essentially, uh, Galen Urso tries to sort of tries to bluff Kenick that his his wife is dead, but his ruse is quickly found out. Um. Kenick makes him go with them or else uh, he will... Or it actually, does he kill Lyra? He does. Yeah. But, she, but it's because she shoots him. Yeah. yeah. Right. So basically... basically, also, I want to point something out. Uh, the stormtroopers that are with him are called death troopers. 
Cue the classic clip, are we the baddies? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lyra did, I mean, essentially what Krennic was offering them was, and it's probably, I think I have a note here that says that uh, Krennic is a smarmy dickhole and I love it. Mm-hmm. He's uh, an opportunist. Yeah. He, I, I don't know. I just really dug the character. Maybe it's just that I like heels, I guess. But his kind of smarmy offer, and you know that if he takes them, as soon as as Urso is done with the Death Star, you know that they're gonna fucking die. Yeah. Like you, once he has outlived his usefulness, then then you know that everyone's gonna die. Which is why I believe he sends uh, Jin away. Uh, he tries to send Lyra away as well, but sh- she shoots him, which I thought was a wee bit unnecessary. I mean, just not to, if you don't want to, you know, antagonize the guy. Essentially, what happens is that uh, Jin, as a little girl, is able to escape and is uh, rescued by Saul Guerrera and... It's it's interesting. I had this thought because I think last time we talked about whether or not we should do Jedi Fallen Order, which I still don't think we should do necessarily. Because again, we I would have to finish that whole game, and I have I, I life is busy at the moment. Yeah, but uh, mm-hmm. I do know that uh, this character Saul Guerrero shows up in that game. And I think he also shows up in a Clone Wars episode and maybe a few episodes of Rebels, which is kind of like the first example of like Star Wars characters, again, that don't have the last name Skywalker and aren't tied to the Skywalkers, kind of popping up in other media, which you, before Disney came along, I don't think you saw that as, you didn't see that as regularly i think as you do now even star wars battlefront 2 which was is is a fine game but did not have a great launch even that story kind of ties indirectly into the larger canon and it is officially that game is officially canon so maybe maybe one day we'll have a sequelize it twitch account and we'll go then do all the the movie the video games that matter but i i i did just want to point out that they seem to be trying to do that mcu thing characters crossing over more often than usual cool um yeah if i could sort of appreciate the opening for a bit uh mm-hmm. when i mentioned earlier how aesthetically pleasing this movie is this scene is just right off the bat an example of it the composition of the planet that they're on, the the contrast of the gray sky with the very deep green grass, mm-hmm. uh, the blocking of uh, Krennic and his soldiers, just composed very well. Um, if I could fanboy for a minute about Moss Mickelson, who is uh, Galen Erso, mm-hmm. the man is brilliant. He can yes. play a very gentle, warm character as he does in this movie. Uh, we established that he he calls his daughter Stardust and and loves her deeply. He could also play, speaking of heels, very cold-hearted characters or calculate from like Hannibal Lecter to uh, Le Chiffre and Casino Royale. Just a very didn't this movie come out about the same time he was in Doctor Strange? The, yes, 
Yes. yes, he does. Yeah, it does. A couple months after, he's also very good in that. Um, I will also say this opening reminds me of the 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 cold open to Inglorious Bastards, like a lot. Yeah, uh, it kind of does. Now that you mention it, it's it's plot wise, it's very similar. Um, especially considering the Empire are, are an entirely fascistic kind of group. They're basically uh, Nazis. They're space Nazis. Let's be real. Quentin yeah. <laughs> Tarantino aside, like it's it it just certainly reminded me of that. Yeah, uh, we get the opening title, a little sting of of Star Wars music there. Which can we, uh, as long as we're fanboying and and gushing about stuff, can we just talk about how good the music in this movie is? It's it's so. Good and again, comparing it to Solo, right? Where Solo, I felt like didn't. I can't remember a single track from Solo. Basically, you think about Star Wars, and you can think about these iconic, you know, pieces of classical music. You know, you think of, you know, of course the 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 main theme. You think of Duel of the Fates. You think of you know the individual songs for for Leia and for Han. You think of the and for Luke and the Imperial March and even Ray's song from from the the sequel trilogies. I think you know are are really solid. And this this soundtrack I feel does a good job of taking a lot of John Williams' score and then uh, Michael. Uh, Giancino, speaking of uh, people who worked on Doctor Strange, he did the music for that. Um, he did the score for Doctor Strange as well. He takes the best bits of John Williams' score and then remixes them and reweaves them. And so you get these, you know, to go along with the awesome cinematography, you get these these moments of like, there was never a moment in this movie where I didn't feel like I was watching a Star Wars movie. And it, I definitely had those moments when I was watching Solo. Oh, I can think of one later on, but uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. The only music that I liked in Solo was the Enfys Nest leitmotif. And that's just because it stood out during that like otherwise pretty boring train heist scene. And as it turned out, as I said in the previous podcast, there's a reason why it stood out because it's it less than sort of like an opposition to the characters. But yeah. Uh, yeah, not to completely disagree, I didn't remember this music as much, but as far as I was concerned, it was functional. Like it worked okay. You, you know what it kind of reminded me of? It kind of reminded me of like a Star Wars video game where they have where they where they have the Star Wars license, but they don't have the license to the actual music, so they have to remake the music themselves. And they do um, like a really good job of it. Bouncing back to the movie, uh, we jump ahead 15 years, and we see um, Cassian Ando. I think that's his name, or am I getting it backwards? Cassian Andor. Yeah, Cassian Andor um, meets with a um, meets with I forget the guy's name, but he meets with someone who essentially tells him of a cargo pilot who's defecting from the Empire, who reveals that the Empire is building a, uh, basically a weapon of mass destruction, um, a, a weapon of more than mass destruction. Um, 
the note I have on Cassian, which really sets the tone for the for this movie, is that after after this guy outlives his usefulness, Cassian just straight up murks him like without even a second thought. Which, I mean, as far as introductions to characters go, that is like that's even a little bit crazier than Han shooting first. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I like. Here's the thing. Uh, in the original series, the Rebellion has always been portrayed as the good guys. But you got to remember one simple thing. The Empire is the government. The mm-hmm. Rebels are basically terrorists. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're, you're going to get your nice guys like Luke, St- Luke Skywalker, but you're also going to attract some not-so-savory characters. Yeah. And I like that they kind of hint at stuff like that. like. Like with a uh, Cassian and, and j- just shooting a guy to save his own life, and later when we're introduced to the rebellion properly, there's some there's some people there who are, you know, that you kind of get the impression that these are not the best people in the galaxy. Right. It's it's a slapdash of of rogues and, and not to make a pun, but uh, scofflaws and. And people who are who are genuinely committed to getting the old way of life back. Uh, we I, so yeah, we introduce Andor as a as a baby face with nevertheless a cold heart. Yeah, and um, it's and it's going to be a very important thing when we get to kind of the culmination of his character arc at the end. Yeah, um, but I thought that was just a a really a, a really good way to to explain exactly what the stakes are in this movie. I agree with backlash that it's, it's nice. I mean, you said you were going to do your rant about star Wars fans and I think we'll get to, we'll get into that mm. more, mm, mm. but the, I just, I really dug the idea in this movie that the, that the rebellion isn't all squeaky clean. These are for sure. The good guys, they are most definitely doing the right thing. I, I love that shades of gray type of stuff because we the weird thing about Star Wars is that we never get a story told from the Empire's point of view. There's that famous conversation between Dante and Randall and Clerks, right, about how basically to sum it up that not everyone on the Death Star is is necessarily a bad guy. There are people that are just doing their job. There are contractors. There, are, there exist good people in the Empire who are probably just working and doing things to get along. And then their lives are totally fucked by the rebellion, basically. Like they that's a that's a side of the story we don't really get. We get bits and pieces of it here and i i wish that i mean god knows that they're probably not going to do it now or they might they might just decide fuck it because they don't give a shit what star wars fans say anymore because they they pretty much destroy well i say star wars fans but they're not really fans but uh, i guess we'll get into that later but (laughs) To your point about the the sort of untold uh, members of the Empire, that's kind of the central conceit 
of of this character in terms of Galen Erso because he is the one that that gives that that Empire pilot the details about the super weapon that they're building. Yeah. Um, the the guy who is delivering that message is Bodhi Rook, who um travels to uh the planet Jetta, um where he is basically kidnapped and taken to see Saw, uh, as played by Forrest Whitaker, which I couldn't figure out if I liked his. Perf- like Forrest Whitaker, obviously amazing actor, but there was something about his acting in this particular movie um, that just, I don't know, just didn't like quite gel. I don't know what direction he got, or maybe it was because of the rewrites or whatever, but I felt like his character was a little bit weird. I think the character was a bit weird. In in some cases, it plays into the whole, the whole idea of... Uh... The rebels be having sort of like a militant slant, mm-hmm. but they don't give us enough of him. They, it's it's almost like a similar issue in episode two with Obi Wan and, and Anakin. Well, you you see that he raised um, Jin, but yes. You don't really get a sense of like his gentler side until it's almost time for him to to leave mm-hmm. the the stage. Yeah. I, I think uh, the big criticism of this movie is there's a lot of really good, interesting characters who feel like they should have their own series. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a good thing about a movie, that it makes people want to see these characters, because it means that they did a good job crafting them in the first place. But it does leave you with this kind of feeling of like, okay, well, I understand that these characters can't necessarily be here because... Well, they're not in the next movies, so they can't really be in these. They they have to they have to find a way to not exist by the time a new hope runs or rolls around. But but yeah, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing that the characters seem so that you want more from the that you want more from the characters. Right. Uh, we we should also mention that. At this point, we've also seen an older Jin. She is captured by by the Empire. I forgot exactly what the reason is, but you you are introduced to her as a bit of a a bit of a ruffian. Like she gets arrested for multiple re- reasons, and and she eventually runs into Cassian Andor. Well, runs into uh, kidnapped <laughs> by is 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 right. more like it. Right. Again, because again, there are no real good guys or or bad guys right now. There and if if uh, this movie has uh, one uh, thing in common with Solo, it's a really good droid character. What is with the, this all is, the good droids? Like, because it, it's around this time we were introduced to K two SO. Is the only thing that people can write in these movies droids? Well, no, because Lucas couldn't write good droid material yeah, in any other prequels. I have my issues with C three PO. One yeah. can think of K two S O as anal retentive in a similar way to to C three PO, but more in the sense that he's dry around other people. Like he doesn't seem like as much of a coward. He 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 he. No, I'd say he just has no filter. 
Oh yeah, that's a, that actually is a good way of putting it. He also is very big on statistics. That's his that's his gimmick. Yeah, his his ability to give a fuck was erased from his programming when he was reprogrammed by the rebellion. But yeah, Jin is quote unquote freed from imperial ca- captivity, and then uh, she's bought before. Uh, leaders of the rebellion, including Mon Mothma and uh, Bail Organa, which I I completely forgot he was in this movie. So like yep. seeing him again was like, oh well. And I feel like I feel like callbacks like that, like they work better for me. I feel like a very solo thing to be to do would be like, this is you know this is Bail Organa. He knew a Jedi at one point, and like literally run down all the characteristics of who Bail Organa is. Instead, if you know who Bail Organa is, it's a nice little bit of fan service for us. And if you don't know who he is, you just understand that he's a leader of this rebellion. He yeah. enters the movie without taking anything away from the movie. I think is my my biggest point, and yeah. and th- that is huge coming off of Solo. He's he's there as much as is necessary. Yeah, she is bought. Jin is bought before uh, this council of the rebellion. Um, essentially, what they want her to do is to help them uh, reconnect with Saw. Saw at one point uh, was a member of the rebellion, but he got basically he got too militaristic and a little bit too too dangerous for even the rebellion a little bit too extreme for even the rebellion um apparently jin hasn't seen saw in years but but moreover the reason the real reason why they want jin is so they think that draw that having jin will draw out galen and basically they want to explicitly murder Galen before the thought is before the weapon can be completed, which uh, how do you guys feel about the fact that they just want to just, again, just completely murk this guy. See, again, it's going to be building up to the end where uh, we get to the culmination of Cassian's uh, character arc, but uh, so I, I, I really don't have any problem with that. I don't have any issue with it because they don't know who Galen is as a person. Uh, they, they obviously wouldn't know him as his daughter knew him. To, to them, he could still be compromised even if he is trying to find his way out of, of the Empire or is leaking a very valuable secret. He's still, he's still like an asset and, he, and he's still kind of What's the word I'm looking for? Like he he's he's sort of like a loose end that that could still lead the empire back to them. From a yeah. from a standpoint. Yeah. That makes sense. Um after this uh so basically it's going to be Jen going with uh Cassian and K2SO a K2SO, right? Yes. So K2SO and they're going to set off for um, the moon of Jeddah. 
Well, the thing they're really after is whatever the pilot has. Right. Because they don't know what he has. Right. That's really the reason why they want to get to Saw, because they are under the impression that Saw has done something to this, or that Saw has this Imperial pilot. Which he does, and he does do something to him. Is it time to talk about that scene? The, uh, the, there's no, there's no other way to call it anything but tentacle hentai. Yeah, uh, truth serum via Lovecraftian beast. Yeah, I was gonna, I just like last movie, I, I said, why is space Cthulhu? Why are there so many space Cthulhu's in these movies? There's another. I feel like it's like a running thing because we we're gonna have another space Cthulhu in episode seven. Oh dear! Yeah, you oh, have another space Cthulhu. Anyway, there there's another characteristic that makes Saw Guerrero look threatening is he occasionally puffs on an oxygen mask. I don't know why this movie is reminding me of Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet, like, <laughs> but just to make just to make him seem more threatening, like if he had said. Fuck. <laughs> But it's just I I don't know it's maybe maybe that's why I like this movie because <laughs> yeah the DCEU because it's not really actually a thing they like to pretend it's a thing but no there's no consistency yeah so if just to watch Shazam again I'd be down for it but I mean, but then you could just watch Shazam and not have to and just enjoy it for what it is yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, uh, we have a sort of discussion between uh, Krennic and Grand Moff Tarkin. Essentially, it, it, actually, no, he's not Grand Moff Tarkin in this movie. It, he's officially credited as Governor Tarkin. Governor? Yeah, I think he, I think the idea is he's supposed to get promoted between this movie and A New Hope. Kidding. Uh... Well, the essential relationship between. Tarkin is that he is the the one behind Krennic, and he's the one breathing down Krennic's neck, threatening his position in the Empire, unless he gets some sort of results. In their discussion, they mention the idea that the Senate might be backing the rebellion, and that's something that it might be a nitpick. It's one line, but the fact that the Senate still exists baffles yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Like the, em- the Emperor has been going power mad for how many years? And they're still trying to like deal with it, and they've g- done nothing. I don't understand the logistics of the Senate backing the rebellion, and what exactly how effectual that would be in in a world where 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 the Sith are are reigning. Like, I don't think that there's a cover on them. Whatever. It's yeah. I I guess you could say that that the Emperor still wants to work within like. A very thin, thinly veiled framework of democracy, and therefore he sort of keeps the he keeps the Senate around, sort of adds like plausible deniability. Like, well, see, we're I'm not we're not a fascist dictatorship because see, we we still have votes on thing. Just last week, uh, the Senate got to vote on what was going to be on the Death Star cafeteria menu. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess they have to have the Senate still because there's a line in the New Hope that says they've eliminated the Senate. It's a weird, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing to kind of bring up the the Senate, but you could sort of 
fill in the blanks and be like, okay, well, it technically exists here. And I think the overall point is that like the Death Star is the, the one thing that kind of really, really changes things because essentially, again, he, the Emperor has a weapon of mass destruction. He like 10 times a regular weapon of mass destruction. When the characters in this movie talk about it, when they talk about a planet kill killer, you can just see the, the dread on everybody's faces. Like, Oh shit. Like a, like a planet killer. Like it's like this combination of like something that they can't fathom, but also something that they know is just a horrible, terribly bad news. To um, make like another video game game comparison, it's on the level of any time the titular Metal Gear comes comes up in Metal Gear or Metal Gear Solid. The the very idea of its existence or the idea that a certain group has access to it is enough to to frighten anyone to to give like anyone a a, a sort of portent of doom on an emotional level. We uh, flash to Jetta, and um, uh, basically, ca- Cassian is actually expecting to meet up with the pilot there. Uh, I don't. Do they know that? Do they know that that he's been captured? Yes, they do. Okay, because that, that's why they need Jin. Because uh, if they just try to go to talk to Saw, he's just going to kill them. But if she's with them, he might actually listen. Right. And to discuss Jin for a bit, she is quite reluctant. Yeah. The only reason why she's on board with this is because she may have a chance to see her father. They basically, once they get onto Jetta, uh, they briefly run into that person who threatens Luke and A New Hope. That is the most pointless cameo ever. Yeah, Yeah, that it really didn't need to to be that's that's the one time i was like okay you know i mean it's for it's the cute yeah. yeah it's just for it's it's just because they they were writing the movie and they thought hey wouldn't it be cool if and no one was like but wait why does this need why does this need to happen like what's the what's the point of it happening clearly no one had that discussion while they're kind of making their way through jetta while they're making their way through jetta um, uh, a blind man uh calls out to Jen. Uh, blind man played by Donnie Yen. Yeah. Uh, his name is Chirrut, and I just have one note, which is that Chirrut is fucking cool. And yeah. as is his friend Baze. Yeah, <laughs> super fucking cool. That yeah, I. I... I like these, and I have an interesting note about them that that they mention specifically that they're the guardians of the wills, which is an interesting thing to say because this is the first time that has ever been brought up in canon. It, and if you're not sure what, what I mean, uh, as history has told us, uh, the original Star Wars went through a billion rewrites. Mm-hmm. And something that George Lucas never dropped, but never got to uh, uh, put in the movies properly, are the wills, which is I, I I'm not really sure how to explain it, 
but uh, the wills are basically uh, midi chlorians before midi chlorians. Uh, why didn't they just call them the wills? That sounds. So I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, but why did George Lucas? Yeah. If George Lucas has this idea, why didn't he just put that idea there? He wrote the movie. Yeah, I love these characters, and I and I do think that there's a bit of gro- like. They they come off like a, a, a sort of buddy cop kind of thing, where they're both exceptionally badass, but you you get the idea that Bayes doubts uh, Churit's utter devotion to the to the idea of the Force. Yeah, like, Bay, uh, because he was at one point a guardian of the wills. It's like he believes in the Force, but basically the Force has abandoned abandoned them at this point. Because he's almost agnostic. Yeah. Yeah, because the the they are on Jeddah, which is one of the last places with one of the last Jedi temples. We actually get a really cool shot where you um where you actually see like a a fallen kind of like fallen statue of um what we would assume to be uh, a Jedi. Um, also, yeah, the the whole idea this that the city is supposed to be like a Jedi holy city. And there was a temple there, but you know the Jedi aren't around anymore. And also, that's the reason why the Empire is there because they are mining. Um, they are mining Kyber. Uh, Kyber being the thing that powers the Jedi's lightsabers, and ultimately the thing that winds up um, powering the Death Star as well. Um, which again was another idea that Lucas had for the original. Uh, for Star Wars that wound up getting excised and comes back here. There, there's lots of little nuggets like that that are ideas that Lucas had that pop back up in, into this movie. Um, but essentially what happens is that um, after Jin has her run-in with Chirrut, uh, they... They basically accidentally happen upon a firefight between Saw Gerrera's rebels and the Empire. Um, I have a note here that says, why do little girls always stand right in the middle of a firefight in movies and in cry? That, that a disillusioned character is actually a good character. <sighs> it's, it's, not, it's just a nitpick. It, it annoys me, but it's just a nitpick. I mean, to to be clear, from from where I stand, I think this entire scene is a bit arbitrary. My one issue with this portion of the movie is that it doesn't seem like they have a plan of how they're going to to meet Saw. They just kind of happen upon the meeting by getting captured. Yeah. In the middle of this firefight. Like, the action is not quite necessary. Yeah, they had no plan, basically. Yeah. They know what they want to do, but they don't know how they're going to get there, and the, the audience is not clear how they're going to get there. Yeah. That's, that is... I mean, I think the entire point of the scene is seeing Donnie Yen do cool shit. Like, oh. that's... If you want to know what the point of the scene is, that's the point of the scene. <laughs> it's so like, okay, did, He has a really funny line, because when they're taking them away, they're putting bags over his over everyone's head, and when they put one over his, he's like, "Really? I'm blind." 
this is one of I feel like this movie has pretty good pacing. I think this is one of the few scenes in this movie that's kind of surplus to requirements. It doesn't need to be there. It's there because someone in the writing of the script was like, okay, it's time for an action scene because we've had lots of people talking essentially. We need we need like a big firefight to kind of wake the audience up again. So Cassian, Jen, uh, Cassian, Jen, uh, Baze, and Chirrut are all captured by Saw's group. Um, basically, Jen finally does get to see Saw Guerrera, and I guess it's kind of weird because their relationship is a little bit underwritten. Like, we are supposed to get the impression that these two people have a, a deep bond, a deep relationship, a father-daughter type of relationship, but nothing really hints at that, except that they're talent. And again, that's just, maybe this is one of the things that happened with the script, but it is them literally just telling us how close they are instead of us seeing how close they are. Right. Um, um, I'll also refer back to a scene around when we have the, the thing with Tarkin and, and Krennic. There's a flashback of, of Galen and Jin, like their relationship. I think we, we repeat the whole Stardust thing, but just flashes, like a, a sort of flashback that she has. I almost wonder if that was a more fleshed out scene. I almost wonder if the prologue was meant to be a bit longer, like 30 minutes establishing father-daughter relationship and maybe even the same with, with Saw and, and Jin, but but that was cut. But yeah. It is lost. That relationship is lost. Yeah, the, the, we're we're kind of just supposed to take the movie's word for it that these two people are, are very close, even though they're not really... They they don't. I mean, I guess Saw does. He's initially very happy to see Jin, but then she he thinks that she's just there to to maybe lay a trap for him or something like that. He he but, says the, he says the line. It's a trap. Yeah. Um. But eventually, he does show. Um. He does show Jin what message the pilot had um which is basically Galen Urso pouring his heart out to his daughter um and what i think is a really kind of like in credit to mads what could just be like kind of boring exposition has so much emotional weight and you really feel his his tiredness but also his defiance you know his yeah. his his desire to, you know, he is, he makes it clear he's only working on the Death Star to protect her. Because if he, if he decides to stop, they're going to hunt her down. They're going to kill her. So he's, he's continued working for the express purpose of just, you know, he just kind of hoping he'll get out alive. Yeah, he says at one point that he's in, he's basically pretending to be a broken man so that they don't that they don't have a reason to go out and find her, and that he has hidden a flaw in the Death Star. Which Here we is, go. Which is 
a the reactor module, <laughs> which is a place so small that the Empire won't even begin to think that they're to go looking for an issue there, because why would they look for any issue? Uh, 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 um, um, someone uh, save uh, me, uh, please. Yeah, yeah, here, here, let me talk about this. Uh, in A New Hope, it's kind of implied that when they get the Death Star plans, they kind of have to look them over kind of thoroughly to find any sort of weakness. And that, I don't know how big the hole is, but that tiny hole that leads to the reactor, is they decide that's their best shot. And now saying that he's designed a weakness, first of all, I don't buy it, because I'm not an expert in uh, spacecraft reactors. (laughs) but And I'm not an expert in uh, the explosion radius of photon torpedoes. Are but, those photons, or is that a Star Trek thing? I think it's an ion torpedo in Star Wars. Probably I, is. I know it doesn't matter. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter, but I imagine take any standard reactor, hit it with a photon torpedo, it's going to blow up. I, ju- I just imagine that. Yeah. Well, I actually I found that this was their way of, of covering the nitpick from a new hope where that where it'd be like why would the empire design something like this with with such a flaw and it's like oh it was someone attempting to sabotage that it's it's a bit of a retcon but it, but i think in a sense like it gives some amount of justification to to this prequel um it, 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 it basically exists for every cinema sins fan who's like plot holding why does why is this hole here it, right. That's that's basically the entire the entire point of this movie. On the level of narrative, on the level of characterization, it marks a turning point for Jen. Yeah, where she she witnesses like how broken down her her father was, and even as broken down as he was, he still managed to to stick it to them and do something. In in essence, for her, like mm-hmm. whether that she was gonna gonna sort of go down the path of of telling everyone or exploiting this or, or whatever it's I feel an effective part of the of, of her character arc because it makes her go from disillusioned and, and aloof to to ultimately a part of this rebellion yeah and again it's mads really he really carries this scene which again could just be a terribly boring, uh, you know, exposition just for the sake of exposition, but his, his sort of wariness, but also his strength kind of comes through in the performance. And I feel like Felicity Jones, who plays Jin does a great job in, in her reaction to, to sing this. It's just, it's for the nitpick that we can say about how it doesn't really have any justification. Despite that nitpick, I, I still found this to be like a very good, like, moving scene between you know this father and daughter and kind of setting Jin on the on a better path than just being kind of you know oh an everyday wanton criminal. She is now a f- fully fledged member of the rebellion. It was um, also kind of cute that. 
that uh, Galen's big flaw in the in the beginning of the movie was that he's a shitty liar, and he explains over the transmission that he he learned to learn to lie for his own benefit and for the be- and for for the the adverse benefit of the of the empire. Right. And so basically what's happening is above well not above Jeddah but near Jeddah essentially to test the weapons capability uh Krennic and Tarkin are going to uh Test the weapon on Jeddah City. I, did I say that twice? I don't remember. <laughs> okay, so yeah, they're going to test the wedding. The wedding. What is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. So so Cassian and Jin decide to get married right there. Uh, <laughs> luckily for them, um, Saw is ordained as a minister. <laughs> And and they are basically in the ruins of a Jedi temple, so it is kind of like a church. And okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, basically, we get to see a display of just what. Not even the the scariest thing about, and the good thing about this movie is that it it shows that even like a tenth of the Death Star's strength is just completely and utterly devastating right and we actually get to see what the death star kind of does because we don't really get in uh we don't really get to see from a planetary level how the death star is able to do this but basically it's like it causes a massive i guess you can call it an earthquake um that well, it causes a citywide cataclysm, like yeah. it wipes out a city. Um, I'll also say that every character witnesses it. Every character sees just how serious this is. Bear in mind, one of the objectives of of Cassian Andor was to was to confirm that this weapon exists, and boy, does this confirm it! Yeah. Uh, now my issue is that Saw stays behind. He stays behind and says, "I will, I will run no longer." Why, like, is he not able to escape with them on his robot leg? Well, here's the thing: he's he's basically, uh, I I think this is bad phrasing because when we see Saw Gerrera, he is just he, he's very broken down, very hobbled. And uh, I'm guessing that oxygen thing he's sucking on probably isn't for pleasure. It's probably a necessary thing. So it's like, I'm just slowing you down kind of thing. But they chose a weird way to say it. Like, I'm done running. It's like, what are you going to do? Fight the uh, tsunami of destruction? Yeah, then join us if you're done running. And that's kind of my issue. But I, I could take that justification. It, it, it what it feel what Saw's death feels like is the into a, a story that we haven't seen. Yeah, exactly. As yeah, as we've been saying. So again, this is one of those weird things where if you watch the supplemental material and you see, if you've seen Saw in the Clone Wars and in Rebels and in Jedi Fallen Order, you've seen this character, then it probably it resonates more that he is just willing to 
kind of go out on his shield. But if you don't, then it's kind of like, okay, well, this character just chose to to die for the flimsiest of reasons. Which, given backlash and justification, aren't entirely flimsy. But the way he just kind of, like, stands in the door and lets it overcome him, it 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 feels... It, it's just a, it's a bit of weirdness. I feel like yeah. this movie kind of wastes Forrest Whitaker. It, it, I would agree with you completely. Again, if there was more... If there was more of an idea of their relationship, more of an idea of the character, rather than just he saves Jin, he then becomes, like, a, a bit... Uh, a bit off the deep end, then then it would have more impact. But but whatever. Yeah. And so yeah, basically our 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 traveling troop of heroes have to escape. They barely escape. Um, Jin relates what her father's hologram says, to which basically everyone's like, okay, well, even if what you're saying is true. Like we can't prove what you're saying is true. We, you're gonna go back to them and you're gonna tell them this thing, but there's no way for us to be able to tell, to actually be able to prove what you're saying is true, and that kind of plays out. Um, back on I think it's Yavin Four. They go back to. Yeah, with the the base. Yeah, it would be Yavin Four. Yeah. So they go back to Gavin 4 and Jin explains and basically this is another like really good scene I feel like where you can tell you can tell that the rebellion's kind of like fractured and splintered wait wait am I thinking of a am I thinking of a scene later in the movie it plays into your point I I, for, I yeah. forgot about whether but but yeah the 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 Climax is, is driven forward by that idea yeah. and, and lack of action and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think the scene you're thinking about when they go back to Yavin 4, that's now. Uh, and then we do get to see... Um, we also get to see a little bit more of the interplay between Krennic and uh, Tarkin, who... It, it it it's very clearly like seeming to angle for for taking for taking control of Krennic's work. Yeah, um, that, that that's kind of the driving force because um because Krennic has basically been overseeing the Death Star construction, and now Tarkin is just going to swoop in and take all the credit. Mm-hmm. And you know, naturally, you wouldn't be happy with that. Yeah, not at all. But um, essentially, Krennic decides he's going to follow them. I think after this, they they're gonna have yeah. So yeah, I was thinking of a, a scene later in the movie. So what they're gonna so what um what our little rebellion is going to do is that they're going to head to uh Edu where they believe that uh. Galen is. Well, no, wait. Um, we have the scene on Yavin Four first. No, I don't think we have the scene on Yavin Four, do we? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at the um, the the 
the story summary. They no, 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 no. You were right. You were right. Yeah, Cassian sends a coded message back to the Alliance saying that Jedha has been destroyed and that he learned that he knows that Galen is on Edu. Um, then Draven, um, basically tells him, Yeah, if you get a shot at Galen Urso, you take it no matter what. That brings them to uh, Yadu. Thunderstorm planet. Yeah, which, to be perfectly honest, I thought, like, there's a lot of very deep blues. I thought this was another example of the of the movie being very aesthetically deliberate, and it's... The, the mood of it, from the, 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 the color of the planet, the, the rain going on, it reflects a pretty decent turning point for a, for a, a couple of the characters mm-hmm. it, you get to you get to see uh you get to see Jin's purpose towards the rebellion bubbling you get to see andor the te- the tension of of like his decision and mm-hmm. one point that'll make especially compared to solo this this scene deals in a lot of darkness but a lot of darkness where you could nevertheless get have like decent comprehension of what's going on. Unlike yeah. Solo, where the cinematography is absolute mud. It's just terrible. Mm. Scenes never that, know. I right. feel like what movies have to do, specifically movies that have CG, is that they have to like establish the geography of where everything is, right? And so you have to be able to see exactly where everything is. And once you see where everything is, then it becomes a lot easier as a viewer of the movie to understand, okay, they're here, they're doing this, you know, this rock formation is here. And, and you know, in, in a lot of bad action movies, they just don't give a shit and they're just, they're trying to shoot it in the most, in the cheapest least effective not the least effective way but they're trying to usually trying to shoot it in the cheapest way they're usually just trying to get this action scene over with and that's it like a lot of action scenes in the later fast and furious movies are like that where there's a bunch of shit going on there's explosions everywhere but you never quite know where anyone is at any one time and then someone drives up real fast like the first the well i guess we'll get to it more when inevitably we'll get to we get to the fast and furious movies probably after they do the one in space um (laughs) (laughs) um but just as an example that Compare the high scene and the first, the Fast and the Furious movie, where you can tell where all the cars are and you can tell where all the danger is and how tense that feels, compared to literally any other scene in any of the other three thousand Fast and Furious movies. Right, but in any case, you have you have characters like like uh, Bodhi Rook and and uh, Cassie Nandor who who are together. The editing and direction like displays what's going through each character's mind. You have you have Jin, you have uh, Turret and Baze. Everyone is very distinguished. The editing 
looks good. The the lighting looks good, and the and again the tone using colors in this planet should be incomprehensible, but isn't. It's all very clear. Yeah, because you can tell that it matters to the filmmakers that the people watching the movie know where everything is. Yes, because if you know, then you could understand when Cassian is staring down the scope of, you know, a sniper rifle, and he's very. He very specifically goes up to that point by and stays at that point by himself. And that tells you something about the characters. And the characters very much know that it's weird that he's doing that. That he just decides to go off on his on his own. Um he and Cassian has several clear as day shots to kill Galen, and he can't do it. Where he has him in his sights. He has him in his scopes, and he can't quite pull the trigger, which tells you a lot about his character. I yeah. think what he, I think he is inferring from Jen that her her father is not just this this terrible person. He's you know he's laid a trap. So can a person that has laid a trap in the Death Star really be? pure evil and again it just plays on those those shades of gray where it's like okay well i thought the everybody in the empire was just a bad guy a person to be killed and maybe i'm wrong about that which plays so much into the sequel trilogy which again it, that's gonna be like a four-hour episode i feel like i'm gonna have to make it into parts or something yeah and in the meantime, you have Jin, who is rushing towards the confrontation between Krennic and her father, because mm -hmm. K2SO reveals that Andor's weapon was, was set to snipe. Mm -hmm. She immediately, like, they had established prior that they need to trust each other if they're going to work with each other, and this is, to her, she, instead of con uh, confronting Andor, she's just going to go right into the, into the, the conflict and, and try to to rescue her father herself, which shows her resolve. That was right. internet when she rescued the child earlier. It's an effective scene. Yeah. Essentially, Krennic has everyone at the um, facility at Edu come out and stand on the platform, and he essentially threatens to kill everyone if the person who uh, basically leaked information to the rebels does not come forward. Um, before they can fire, Galen steps forward and says that it was him, which doesn't matter because Krennic has everyone killed anyways. Meanwhile, the Rebels have... I forget why the Rebels decide to send um, to send a squadron to Edu, but basically shit goes bad. Uh, the Rebels bomb the platform. Which, once again, it's like, I, I, keep, I hate to keep kicking this horse, but again, it makes it very clear that, like, the rebellions are, the rebellion is, is not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. If they're just showing up and blindly firing at any empire's target, right? Yeah, and well, they were there specifically to kill Galen. Right. 
I mean, it, it's yeah. Should end or fail, then like they would have to take it into their own hands. But it's just again, it's very. I don't know. It it gives me a certain opinion of the the rebellion where. On the one hand, I understand why they're doing the things that they're doing. It is life or death. But on the other hand, it does challenge this squeaky clean notion of who they are and what they stand for and all that other crap that alleged fans say is what really matters and why Disney can't make Star Wars movies anymore because apparently... The real fans of these movies don't ever like to think about anything outside of the the Luke Skywalker just killing everything that's in his pattern could that's in his path because he's you know he's fucking Superman and and, and, and nothing else matters. I just they just want to watch their their movie and never have to think about anything else at all ever. I think it's time. Let's talk about Star Wars fans. Okay, let's do it. You're a Star Wars fan. You like the Star Wars. You like the Star Wars a lot, but you didn't like the prequels because they were dumb. Mm -hmm. So Disney's going to make a new Star Wars. Oh, okay, Disney, you're going to make a new Star Wars. Uh, don't change too much because I don't like things that are different, but you have to include different things. Only you can't change all that much. But remember, you have to be different because you can't just shove the same shit down our throats. But don't change so much. Make sure things stay the same. But it also has to be kind of different and make sure it stays the same. And ah! That is. Oh my God, this must be the most stressful job in the world. No wonder. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're damned if you. I do, you're damned if you don't. You're even more damned if you're a person of color and you're cast in one of these roles, oh. let alone given a fucking prominent role. Um, oh. which Heaven we'll, forbid you don't have a penis. Yeah, we'll discuss at length. Mm. Uh, four podcasts later. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then five podcasts later. And then six. But, yeah, I don't know. The the funny thing about this movie, and this is before we get to the climax. The funny thing about this movie is that I didn't I avoided it for a long time, and I blame myself for this because the only context I had for it was the red letter media review. We're getting into them again. Mm -hmm. They fucking hated this movie. They they basically said it's it's nothing but fan service, and I'm glad to have been like pleasant. And they're fucking stupid. Yeah, I, I don't agree at all. Like, I, They're the I template for that rant I just went on. Because you can't please these Star Wars fans. And you can't see me, but I'm doing the biggest air quotes that I can. Right, right. And, they, and it's funny because they were very generous to fucking Solo. And every criticism that they had about this movie, I pretty much could apply to Solo. And even more well, so. I thought that the fan service in that movie was fucking shameful. Oh, what you didn't want? You didn't want to know exactly why Han Solo calls Chewbacca Chewy because you're you're three years old and you can't figure out like a nickname. Right, right. There were moments in this movie where that were a bit too much. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I thought that a lot of the fan service could be grouped into really blatant shit, like the 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 um the fucking um. The guys from the bar in, in A New Hope. 
and other stuff, which is more expanded universe, like Kyber Crystal. Like, I, I don't really think we got an idea of that in any of the, the previous movies. It's a bit more on the fringe. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm... I'm glad to be secure in not knowing that, like, despite my fandom of Red Letter Media, and there's there are problematic aspects of, of them as reviewers and as people. Like, I'm not just, like, sort of lockstep as much as I enjoy their... their they, I have accepted a long time ago that they're very funny people with very shitty opinions. Yes. Uh, yeah. I yeah. Really agree with that. Um, but I think so much of... I think so much of what has become... So much of what is current Star Wars discourse is informed by the Plinkett reviews. Well, here's the thing. Go back and watch those reviews. They don't really hold up. No, they I, don't they, at all. No, they don't. I, like, they say that black people don't like Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they, that's like the one thing where, where defenders will say, oh, that's just satire. But no, it's, it wasn't. It's just like, it's, they were arguing that black people don't like Star Wars and that's yeah. why Samuel L. Jackson's in the movie which that they're probably right to a degree that they wanted to nudge the demographic but to just say black people don't like Star Wars yeah it's 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 a kind of like I'm joking but I'm serious I think on the level of film those reviews hold up like on the level of film criticism in comparisons to what works and what doesn't that's fine but there's a lot of like terrible shit, like a lot of a lot of discoursey shit that that just doesn't hold up. Um, yeah, that has and, leaked its way into like the larger Star Wars fan base in general. Yes, the way I would compare it to almost like uh, South Park, where people will will look at a character like Cartman and be like, "But the show portrays him as wrong," and I'm like, "Yeah, well, the the show makes money off of it. You, you see his face yeah. on nice." These are still racist things that he's saying, homophobic, sexist, just for the fuck of it. And as much as the show could be moralistic about it, they still present him as a prominent character. It's the same thing with Red Letter Media. You never see him disclaim like any of the shitty takes that their fans would get as a result of watching their content, and that's my issue with them. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to have a lot of time for especially when we get to the sequel trilogy for how we feel about how we feel about Star Wars fans it's going it's just going to be a common thread i think through the next six movies just because it's an it's an unavoidable part of talking about the is unavoidable you just can't not talk about it you can't not talk about the reaction to it because it does to a certain extent take away from my fandom of the movies. It makes me not really want to call myself a Star Wars fan, but I am. I'm just not this kind of Star Wars fan. And to to see a, a couple to put a button on this so we can get back to the movie, to see that the mere idea that Ryan Johnson is going to have another trilogy had the last Jedi trending on Twitter. Just the mere idea that he was going to make more movies made star Wars fans flip their shit like, or quote unquote star Wars fans. Like it's just again, to put a button on it, it's a movie about space wizards using light swords. It's, it's not that, goddamn serious 
it's just not. Basically, shit goes bad. Uh, Galen does wind up dying. He does see Jin one more time. Um, they they do end up regrouping on the ship. Uh, Jin confronts Cassian about the fact that he was going to kill her father. And yeah, it's just it's bad. It's it's bad times ahead. But they do they do manage to uh, steal uh, an Imperial cargo shuttle, which will become important later. Um, speaking of scenes that are surplus to requirements and really fan servicey and don't have to be at all in the movies, don't add anything to the movies, um, I believe that it's time. It's Vader time. Quick question, why is he on Mustafar? Yeah, wouldn't Mustafar... Why would he want to be on Mustafar, of all fucking places? It's the place where he basically almost died and where he killed his wife. Maybe maybe Palpatine made him do it. Just Uh. keep him... Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that that was Mustafar. I didn't think that there was a label on that. On that. No, it does. It, I think that I think there is. Yeah, I don't know if there's a label on it, but it's a big lava planet, and and according, according to Wikipedia, it's it's Mustafar. So okay. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's Mustafar. Yeah, he get he gets choky choky with Krennic. <laughs> you made that sound kinkier than it is. <laughs> I mean, uh, to, certain, to certain audiences, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna judge anyone. One thing I noticed is that uh, James Earl Jones, uh, Hollow be there, be his name. Um, he is really struggling, I think, to to continue to do the Darth Vader voice because his acting and his inflections were just a little bit off. I felt like uh, it. I don't know. I just felt like this entire scene with him is like it doesn't mean anything. I guess it sets Krennic on the path to like it sets Krennic on a certain path. He's desperate. But, yeah, he's desperate. But I just feel like he doesn't really need to be in this movie, other than just the fact that. We want to see. There's a there's a contingent of fans that want to see Darth Vader in this movie. Like you don't learn anything. You don't learn anything new about the character. And then he makes a fucking pun. Like Darth Vader doesn't make puns. <laughs> oh my god, he does. Yeah. Holy fuck! I can be, be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. Like That's what the awful. fuck? I forgot about that. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, this is this was a, again. This was a scene that was clearly put in the movie because someone or some producer was like, "We got to have a Darth Vader scene in this movie." You you could you could excise this entire exchange from the movie. You could replace it with a scene uh, where Critic is 
basically threatened with Darth Vader, with getting confronted by Darth Vader, and yeah. you lose literally nothing. That would honestly be even more frightening, just because we know what that represents. If, and we already know that the Krennic's under pressure, so we, yeah. we don't need to assert it to this degree. Yeah, he's just in the movie just to be in the movie, which it's it's un it's just unnecessary. It gets it gets more unnecessary as the climb as we build as we get through the climax. But at any rate, um. We return back. This is the scene where we're talking on Yavin 4 that we were talking about backlash, where there's a a load of infighting and disagreement about exactly what the rebellion should do uh, with this new knowledge of what's happening um, with the Death Star. Um, Can I just say, I know someone who really hates this scene because. The whole the whole idea is um, is Jin giving a motivational speech to try and inspire people, and and it, you know specifically the point that they used for the trailer was was rebellions are built on hope, which is a line that's been said a couple times in the movie, mm-hmm. and he got really really mad. It's like like yeah, let's just hope the empire away that'll work, and I'm like that's did not you not point, did dude. you not did you completely miss the point where like even the point is is what choice do we have but to fight yeah like you can, we there the rebellion has two choices which is to continue to fight or to basically fold and eventually be subjugated and wiped out like that those are the, the two those are the two choices there is no there is no middle option in this case you either fight or you become a slave or die. That's it. Right. Uh, I The presence of Jimmy Smith again, I almost wonder if the the parts of the rebellion that are like, no, we, we don't know what we can do. We don't want to go to Scarif. I wonder if that was a remnant of the, the sort of Senate and the council being kind of ineffectual. Like a holdover of them sort of not doing it anything as they were being like enveloped and engulfed by the the, the eventual empire around them but that, yeah, that's, that's it sorry could be, reading, could be reading too much i don't know no i think that's an interesting point to bring up because they are essentially a lot of these people were at one point senators you can you can tell that they're not like on the ground kind of forces or or anything just based on what they're wearing and many of them seem to be working for the rebellion in secret, which is one of the things that, you know, it's not explained outright, but it's kind of inferred that these are still people that work in the Senate. I think they even mentioned, um, they even mentioned at one point, um, bringing it back, you know, they mentioned something about the Senate. Um, But yeah, you know, this, this is kind of an example of the exact kind of infighting and squabbling that leads to the empire becoming a thing. Again, especially if you watch the supplemental materials, um, Clone Wars in particular, about kind of what the Senate was doing and why 
Palpatine was able to acquire and amass so much power. But yeah, it's a really affecting scene that shows you just how fractured and splintered and not perfect the rebellion is. And I feel like that's what that's what you need for for good characters, right? You need superheroes can't be perfect. And and you could argue whether or not the rebellion represents superheroes or not, but good guys without flaws are boring. Um good guys who are good and that they're good is never questioned and they are held up as beacons of virtue that's boring and as we get into you know the next six movies in this franchise we're going to we're going to see how much people want a character who hasn't who who has no shades of gray who is very much very much you can take everything they do at face value. Everything they do is either good or bad. And if they ever think about doing something bad, well then that's a complete and utter betrayal of who the character is, and they just can't they can't deal with that. This is a more realistic scene. Like how many how many people in our current government think that they're good people? Like legit think they're good people, have have no doubts that they're good people but do bad things or do unhelpful things or gum up the works. Like everyone is the hero of their own fucking story. The people that are speaking up in this council meeting, all they want to do is just protect themselves and their families and their lives. And they want to see if they can come up with another way to do things. And that's not necessarily bad, but I, I just, I like it. I like his Star Wars movie that is willing to that's willing to play with those ideas that right. the rebellion isn't the rebellion isn't actually all, all it's cracked up to be that there are definitely there are definite blemishes and imperfections in you know as it pertains to them. Yeah, uh, despite the misgivings of some people in the Rebellion, Jin and or uh, Chirrut and Baze and Bodhi K2SO decide to all storm the planet Scarif because that's where all of the, the Empire's archives are. The, which will, will that is... The, the 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 citadel that will contain the plans for the Death Star that they want well, to hijack. It's during the scene that we kind of get uh, the culmination of Cassian's character arc that yes. I've been talking about, where he basically lays it all out and says, "I have done horrible things in the name of the rebellion. I have murdered people. I have blackmailed people. I've extorted people. And if I stop now, that's all for nothing." Mm-hmm. Right. He basically he he has done bad things, but he wants to do good. He hopes that the ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to um scrounge up a crew of uh not that many people. Um I guess you could say the I think at the 
that Cassian says make 10 people feel like 100, but they let's say they have like 50 people who are willing to go on this mission, and then um, they sneak aboard the stolen Imperial cargo shuttle that they um, that they got from Edu, and uh, that's when Bodhi uh, comes up with the name Rogue One, which I thought was, you know, it's a cute little scene. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, they head off to Scarif, which I call the Sandals Resort Planet. <laughs> I still uh, that that for as overwrought perhaps as some of the action scenes are in this climax, it looks gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it looks so damn pretty. There are mm. some great shots, great shots of Krennic looking down from the Citadel onto things as as like the sort of bombs go. Like it, yeah, they they made it look as good as they could. Mm-hmm. And it, and then uh, basically, I feel like we struggle to talk about action scenes because, I mean, there's only so much. You, I do think that the action scenes in this movie are kind of, for the most part, well paced. And again, you get the geography of where everything is happening. Right. Um. And and the action scenes themselves move. They move the plot forward. <laughs> They're not just happening because, you know, 20 pages of script have gone by and now we need an action scene. Like, the actions that the characters are taking are happening in plot-relevant ways. Yes. Uh, I think Yadu, again, I, I praised that before. I think that generally you know what's going on and what the characters need to be doing in this last scene. I really do think the only exception to that was on... Um, was on Jeddah. Like the that's the only time where it didn't seem like the characters were were in control of what they were doing. Yeah. But um I I think suffice it to say there's a there's a, a battle in the air, the the rebel forces that decide to join up with Rogue One. There's a battle on the ground with uh where Bodhi is trying to get the communications to to beam up to the rebels. Meanwhile Baze and Chirrut are holding the fort and while that's all going on, Jin Andor and K2SO are going up to the to the archives to recover the data, recover the plans. Mm-hmm. For a rough way of putting it, we could we could highlight decent moments in this. Um, uh, I only really want to bring attention to one, mm-hmm. and it's after they dis- they figure out they need to get the shield down. They've got a disabled Star Destroyer, and mm-hmm. it's a very interesting technique. Uh, it's the Worf technique. Uh, yeah. Today, <laughs> today is a good day to die. That's the technique. Prepare ramming speed. That's the push, technique. Push one oh, Star Destroyer into the other. I did like the, that yeah. Star Destroyer, which I don't even know how that works, and into the shield. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> It it yeah I can't explain it any better than you get it. It was pretty neat though. Yeah, it was a it was it was pretty cool. I thought it was a cool scene. You have uh, you have Chirrut's sacrifice where he's God, he's so fucking cool in this. Yeah, movie. he's relying on the force, walking forward to to get a switch. Uh, he makes Bays believe by by 
avoiding all these bullets. Of course, until like he does the thing that he needs to do, at which point he's disposable. Um, if it sounds like I'm being cynical, it's, it's it was still like a fun scene to watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, again, there's not there's not much I feel like I can say about these action scenes just because they're they're well paced and they're plot relevant and. Everything that happens in them makes the story move forward. I mean, that's that's probably the highest compliment you can pay an action scene, especially in movies today, where action scenes seem to just happen just because. Again, there we've had twenty minutes of talking, and now we need something to break up the monotony, almost. Yeah. Um, you, you have Bodhi. You have his own sacrifice, and I, I've liked Riz Ahmed throughout this. Like I've yeah seen him in a in a few movies, and he's a, he's a very good actor. And it seems like recently he's been on the come up. But like yeah. you had his character is sort of like almost frightened, despite being given the task of of relaying this message, and then he becomes like a, a lot more gains a lot more resolve, and it culminates in in his own sacrifice towards this. Mm hmm. Um. We see uh, K2SO also more or less sacrifices himself uh, to protect Jen and Cassian while they are um, they're going for the hard drive, which is kind of I thought was kind of weird. That has it's, the the Death Star plans on them. It's the um, benefit of not establishing an internet. Well, I mean, there's communication via via holograms, but you don't get the logistics of it, so it's the benefit of them not giving us enough information. Right. But wondering... Also, like, go on. Well, no, I was going to point something else out. Uh, when they're looking for it, uh, they're, they're listing off a bunch of other things they find. One of the things they mention is hyperspace tracking. Uh-huh. That's a, a little... Nice. That's, that's a little setup for episode eight. Ah, you're right. Because episode eight came out right after this. Yeah. I think there are some other signal like references in the in the projects that they, they go through before they reach Stardust, which Jin realizes what it is because her father coded it for her, but Which wow, that would have been uh that would have been rough if she wasn't there. Yeah. And also, they're they're essentially doing like a whole like claw game, like a UFO catcher kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> just to ratchet up the tension and have like this big like diehard elevator kind of thing with with Krennic. But, but, but be that as it may, yeah, I think. But I think these scenes are they're good scenes. Um, right. um we get um, Krennic basically. Once he realizes what's going on, he basically goes down to the archives themselves with a couple stormtroopers. They're able to kill the stormtroopers, but Krennic shoots Cassian, and uh, Jen is able to still able to escape. Uh, she makes her way to the top of the tower um, and pushes in the hard drive, I guess. Uh, is confronted by Krennic, but then he has a very unceremonious death because fuck Krennic, even though he's awesome. Um, well, he doesn't even die here. Uh, we, we'll get a little bit more of 
just a little bit more of him in a bit, which I actually really like. And then um, they're able to send the plans. Um, and that's going to start to lead us to our climb. You can talk about the part that you like now, I think. What, the Star Destroyer? Which one? The, where they take down the shield. That was a part, that was oh, a part oh, I yeah. mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we already talked about that. Um, but, yeah, uh, essentially, uh, Tarkin uh, decides that he's just going to blow up Gareth because why the hell not? Why leave a loose end? Uh, we once again see the destructive power of the Death Star. And it's that last shot of Krennic that I really like, where he just watches the Death Star approaching over the horizon and firing. And he's like, it's like that's what you get. That's what you get. Voiced by his own batard, as you, as you may say. Yeah, he has a look on his face like, oh, fuck. Um, but yeah, then... As the climax kind of winds down, we get, again, a scene that I think is kind of surplus to requirements, but it it exists because I guess it has to exist. Um, the scene of Darth Vader um, basically wrecking a bunch of rebels. Yeah, which... it essentially leads up to the very first scene in A New Hope. Uh Outside the establishing shot of the Star Destroyer and and right. the ship, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a fan wank. Yeah, it's it's a scene that exists solely because fans complain that Darth Vader doesn't doesn't have enough scenes where he just gets to be a badass. It's the only reason why it's here. I mean, yeah, the 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 scenes of Darth Vader. Being a badass are inversely proportional to the to the idea that he redeems himself and is ultimately a force of good. So, so I just like I'm sort of bitter about stuff like that. Yeah, I'm. I think as these movies go on, where um, my opinion towards Darth Vader is because I I think I was a lot like a fan who was like, oh yeah, Darth Vader is awesome. But the more I'm the more I watch these movies, I'm like, he is. He is a horrible person, and I don't think I should be, you know, cheering for him. Yeah, and as much as 75% of that is George Lucas's fault, like, you have stuff like this that reinforces that that bullshit, and, you know. Bleh. Yeah, like, Darth Vader kind of... The character of Darth Vader works better as, like, a... The term that comes together is like a mean administrator, like a guy who clearly doesn't want to get his hands dirty, who kind of doesn't want to be, you know, bothered with like the minutia of politics and bullshit. And like he only takes up arms if he has to. He would, he would, the Darth Vader that I think exists in the original trilogies would much rather just send a bunch of 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 stormtroopers and if the stormtroopers just completely fail then he's like okay well i guess i'll light my lightsaber and kill a bunch of people i guess like kind of begrudgingly in this movie he just shows up and just 
wrecks people because he has to wreck people because dude, that's 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 what the fans want, I guess. We have to see a, a lightsaber. Uh, yep, uh, Donnie Yen with a with a bow staff is not good enough. Why couldn't they just give him a lightsaber? I want him. They, to... they, they, they didn't need to. They they really didn't. I I know they didn't need to, but I wish they had because they could have cool. I'm he's so fucking cool. Okay, I just want him to have a lightsaber. But see, that's go to Galaxy's Edge again and get his lightsaber. That's why he's cool, though, is because he he doesn't need a he doesn't need a laser sword. That is true. Okay, never mind. I'm good. Our movie essentially ends with with um another kind of. I guess cringy-ish scene. Um, the last word, the last line spoken in the film are, "Your Highness, transmission we received. Was it? What is it that? What is it they've sent us?" And she replies, "Hope." And then we get to see a very not convincing CG Carrie Fisher. I thought it was more. I thought it was more convincing than Tarkin. I agree I, because it d- didn't move as much. Yeah, but she yeah. she had like a, a powder white like mime face. Yeah, her complexion was just a little bit off. I think they one of the things I talked about that that YouTube channel Corridor Crew they they make really interesting v- videos about like special effects and how you know certain effects can be approved, improved and how they make you know how studios make good effects and one of the things that they point out. And specifically in relation to this, is that if you're gonna do this, like the lighting has to match and be right. Um, it's really, really hard to get eyes right in and in, in CG. It's hard to get all the musculature and stuff underneath the skin right. And so that's what leads like characters like Grand Moth Tarkin and this Princess Leia to not look quite so good because they're just a tiny bit off. You can look at them and say, ah, that that doesn't really look like a person. Like her pale white complexion, like that's a problem because her skin wouldn't be reflecting the bright white lights quite like that. If if it, if she was actually on set, you have tons of references to her being in that exact episode in that exact outfit from the other movie and so it just looks a little bit off that's that's why deep faking characters works some works better than than you know doing this or why de-aging a character works a little bit better but, but even then it can look a little bit off at times but um with that um we with that final line uh they jump to hyperspace and the movie ends with our star wars theme which is the first time we've heard the theme in the entire movie and yeah aside from that was rogue one yeah so what what was your guys overall impression very, very good movie. Very solid movie. Definitely deserves to be watched more than once because I feel like you get the full experience on a second viewing. Right. And and again, 
as I admitted before, I avoided seeing this. I mean, after The Force Awakens, which which I generally enjoyed, I kind of got, like, from a personal standpoint, my friend was giving me the fucking shitty discourse of, of backlash against The Force Awakens, so a combination of that and um, and the Red Later Media thing where they absolutely trashed it, yeah, I, I avoided seeing it, and I'm very delighted at how much I ended up enjoying it in terms of character arts, in terms of cinematography, in terms of uh, structure, with some misgivings. I, I liked it. Yeah, I, I, I unabashedly, this is like one of my favorite Star Wars movies. If, if, if after we're done, we go back and I might have us go back and rank all of our movies, all the movies we watched. I think this is, this is going to be kind of high up there. I just, there's something about it that I, I loved that it was a new, it was a new Star Wars story that had like, old star wars soul if that makes any sense right it i i never had any misgivings about if i was watching a star wars movie i don't feel like you can watch this movie and it adds to the canon but you can not watch this movie and be fine it doesn't take anything away from the greater canon of star wars it just adds more rich texture to everything it's just a really, it's a really satisfying, it's just a really satisfying watch. And I think I also avoided watching this in theaters because, again, because the discourse around Star Wars was so shitty at the time, like, it took me a long time to even watch The Force Awakens. And, and that was, the reaction to that movie wasn't even as bad as it would be, as, you know, the reaction to the later movies. Yeah. When sitting down and watching this one, I was like, this is just, if, if Disney wants to make more star Wars movies like this kind of one-off stories that tell us about characters, mostly about characters that we don't know and haven't, uh, haven't come into contact with before, uh, kind of like the Mandalorian, which is, you know, rich with references and things like that. But you don't necessarily have to know the Mandalorian exists to enjoy anything about other Star Wars. It's just a solid standalone story that stands on its own. Right. I, I really, really, really enjoyed this. And especially after four movies, I did not enjoy at all. Oh, this, oh, was, yeah, this, this was a nice reprieve. This, this was refreshing. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> yep. All righty. So... Well, we we didn't really have a bombshell. Did anyone? Does anyone have a, a bombshell opinion about our next movie? <laughs> I mean, what is there to say about our next movie that hasn't been said over the past fifty years? We'll we'll say it anyway. I mean, from my own personal standpoint, I decided to see if there was any way I could find like a fan sort of redone original trilogy, non special edition versions, and I and I have these uh. <laughs> legally obtain Blu-ray copies. Completely legally obtained. Yes, yes. I mean, I bought them on eBay. I mean, that's legal, right? You can you can buy a lot. I bought a graphics card on eBay. That's legal. Yeah. So uh, I'll be watching Star Wars 
no episode number, no subtitle, despecialized edition on Blu-ray. And, and I will I will be watching the Disney Plus version because I don't know where my Star Wars DVDs are. Uh, I had the I'm... I had the 2006 re-releases, but I I don't know where they went. I might look into getting a couple copies of these completely legal Blu-rays myself. So maybe I'll watch both. Completely legal. Totally legal, though. We, 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 we follow the law, except for those instances where we don't. And on that bombshell, <laughs> you can follow us on social media at sequelize it on twitter you can send us an email sequelize it at gmail.com um maybe tell us how you felt about how you feel about these movies if you got into them early if you got into them late um what star wars means to you if you want to help the podcast grow please leave us in a five-star review on apple podcasts it helps to soothe the eldritch algorithmic beast that runs the internet. And yeah, that's going to be a goodbye from me, Casey. And a goodbye from your Fox Pen Backlash. And a goodbye from No Chris Alive. And we will see you next time. And hopefully we'll have good opinions because I don't want to get yelled at. <laughs>